Morgan, Morgan streaking, she's chipping the goalkeeper! The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's major league soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's major league soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets the crossing. It's towards Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is episode 36 of Give and Go, and I'm your host, Rotas Wadera. Thank you so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. As always, be sure to check out all of our latest news, analysis, lifestyle news merchandise all at www.girlssoccernetwork.com check us out on social media at girls soccer network on twitter at girls soccer net we have a youtube channel as well we are on all social media so again be sure to check us out there if you want to know more about this particular podcast and show all you have to do is say hey siri play give and go you can also tell Siri to play your newest podcasts, play the first episode of this show. You can even subscribe to this show just by telling Siri. So again, be sure to leverage all of those aspects of the technology that we have and subscribe to this show. We love your support. Share it. Do whatever you can, but share this and let's spread the word, guys. All right. Some other important Girls Soccer Network items coming up soon, every Sunday. 4 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern. Girls Soccer Network. One of our writers, Hannah, who I'm sure you've seen her work on the website before. She does the weekly footy pop, among other things. She's going to be hosting a new trivia show called On the Ball, where there are going to be four different category levels of difficulty, along with the chance to win prizes. Again, every Sunday, 4 p.m., Pacific, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern on our Instagram account to go live again at Girls Soccer Network. Be sure to hit the follow button and be waiting for when that comes. Also, we have a new series called Top 3 Goals from the Weekend. I've in the past done Top 5 Goals from the World of Women's Soccer, but we decided to do something for the youth. We want to highlight youth soccer here in America, so... Send us in your goals, all right? You might make the top three from the weekend. If you send it in, we want to see all of your submissions. We want to see your skills, all the galazos, all the screamers. That's what we want to see from you. So please send it in to us, again, through Instagram, through Twitter, on social media outlets. Feel free, again, send it to us so we can see for sure exactly how you got along over the weekend with some of your best goals. All right, again, before we get into the show, just wanted to say one more time, Black Lives Matter, and they will always matter. They will continue to matter. Breonna Taylor, I am so sorry. We are so sorry. We let you down. The case verdict, unfortunately, did not go in their favor, but we will continue to fight. We must continue to press on and not get discouraged. This is one of the many 
road bumps, one of the many obstacles that will be put in front of us. We must continue to fight, continue to press on. No matter how bleak and how hopeless things may seem, we have to continue to fight for justice and continue to do our part and do what we can. So guys, keep trying. Do not lose hope. Do not lose hope. Keep going. All right. Here's what we got for you on today's show. We have a Kalia Watt interview. We have a Nikki Izzo Brown interview, Coach Nikki Izzo Brown from the University of West Virginia. We have an NWSL recap. We have a look at the college scene. And we also go over to England for a bit. So let's get right into it. The NWSL Fall Series has been great so far. Plenty of exciting matches throughout. Again, it's crazy to think it's almost done already. There's only two more weekends left before a champion's going to be crowned. And I believe the top three teams, again, are going to get a cash prize with most of that money or maybe all of it going to small businesses in their community, which is obviously a really, really great thing. So... After taking a look at the standings, you can see the Thorns at the top with seven points, three games played, just coming off a a tough, tough matchup with the Utah Royals, who also have their fair share of things that we will get into shortly. But Thorns at the top, they looked really good midweek against the Rain. Seeing Sophia Smith and Morgan Weaver come off the bench really gives you insight on how dangerous this team can be when they are all playing together. When they are all working cohesively as a unit, this is what they are capable of. Christine Sinclair continues, continues to put in that performance that reminds us why she can still do what she does best. Unfortunately, when you saw the Utah game, though, it was a completely different look, a younger lineup, and you noticed how Utah came out and attacked them right away. Got the early goal from Amy Rodriguez, and so Portland has a lot to build on. This is a great young core, but they could have hurt their chances of finishing in first place because of that draw if... They had maybe put out a better lineup. Who knows? Mark Parsons may have been looking to rotate, give players rest, because again, it was a quick turnaround from Wednesday to Saturday. That was likely the reason. But the Thorns are looking mightily impressive through their three games. The Spirit, I believe, have four games played, seven points. They got a nice win over Sky Blue over the weekend. And I think, you know... Losing all of the players that they have lost with the injuries and on top of players who didn't join like Tegan McGrady and Jordan DiBiase, the Spirit are playing really well. Richie Burke deserves a ton of credit and I think he's getting he's getting the players to buy into his philosophy and his system and that'll happen when you have less experienced players who are looking to work their way into the side and looking to make their mark into the league. They're more likely to listen, right? They're going to be more coachable. They're going to do whatever it takes to make sure they can stay in the league. So you can see that difference out there with Washington and how they're possessing the ball. They are making no qualms about it. They want to pass you to death in your own half while you're defending, and they have left themselves susceptible on the counterattack. But when they are dominating and possessing, they've brought along some nice young attacking players, Bailey Feist, Katie McClure, Crystal Thomas, some young players who would not normally get this opportunity, are playing really well as a team, and they're playing great overall team soccer. So credit to Richie Burke. They're in second place. They could be in the running for a top three finish if, again, things stay the way they are. Chicago, 
four points through three games played. You know, there was that McCaskill red card in the first game against the Spirit, which was pretty surprising. But they bounced back nicely against Sky Blue with the 4-1 win. That is what you're looking at when Chicago is at their very best and everyone is working together and clicking. That's how good they can be. They looked almost unguardable against Sky Blue. Now, Sky Blue's defenses have been in shambles this tournament, but to put four on them the way that they did, they blitzed them, gave them no chance. So that was a great comeback. And then again, the Spirit in the last match, uh, 1-1. Again, for whatever reason, I think the Spirit just aren't the best matchup for Chicago because the Spirit just love to hold on to the ball. And Chicago can catch them on the counter, but it's not conducive to playing in the game. But going back and forth, you can't just sit back the entire game. So Chicago in a good position right now, sitting in third. Definitely a mixed bag, but they'll look to hold on to that spot with the North Carolina Courage and the Houston Dash not too far behind. They each have two games played only, so they could take the Spirit and the Red Stars' spots depending on how things go. They are going to play each other, though. Like, the winner of that matchup between the Dash and the Courage could decide who is going to win the tournament overall because, again, with that extra game in hand, Either team is going to put themselves with three points, would put themselves into the top three, and then another win would likely be more than enough to move them to the top spot. So between the dash and the courage, it's a tough one to call, honestly. I really do think Houston has what it takes to do it again because this North Carolina team is not the same. That is one thing I will say. This courage team is not the same. We know it's not the same, but even then there's only so much you can try to do to replicate with the depth that they have. And so there is a potential for an upset for the Courage, but it's very tempting to pick the Dash. It is very tempting, but I still think the Courage, they have the most experience in these situations. And I think having seen enough of the Houston Dash now in such a short period of time, I think they're going to make the right adjustments and be just fine. Sky Blue in the sixth spot, three points through three games. Tough, slutty. I mean, again, not great in terms of their overall defensive work against Chicago and the Spirit. They were lucky to only lose 1-0 to the Spirit the other day. So Sky Blue's defense still clearly needs some work. And I think there's a couple spots in their midfield where they do need to bolster their depth a little bit. But again, so many star players not, not here. Certain ones not out. McCall's or Boney's not there, so again, those issues would be addressed if she was there, but Sky Blue needs to get their defensive issues sorted out. Offensively, like what they've been doing, they have some good continuity in what they have in their team, but again, it just hasn't been up to snuff right now. The Royals had their own piece of controversy. Craig Harrington on a leave of absence away from the team after allegations of culture issues in Utah, inappropriate comments and things of that nature being made. Among other things in the report, Meg Linehan has been reporting a lot of different details regarding this whole situation, so be sure to you know go check her out on Twitter. This is pretty crazy news for it to happen the way that it happened literally before the kickoff of their first match. Like, they didn't stand a chance. They did not stand a chance in that first game because your coach Lee like is on a leave of absence like leading up to the match this is not something that happens ever like there's so much to unpack here 
the Royals obviously are in hot water. Well, not in hot water, but we know that Del Lloyd Hanson, the owner, had to sell. So if that's how it is at the top, right, it's a trickle-down effect. That's what's going to be passed down throughout the rest of the organization where it's going to be considered to be okay. And so, again, he was like just brought in from Chicago, highly touted assistant, and Within months of being hired, he's out. A very, very surprising, surprising move here. Could not believe it. Could not believe it. But it ended up being a blessing in disguise, honestly. You think about Amy LaPelebe taking over as manager. A former Kansas City defender, former U.S. Women's National Team defender, bringing such a different perspective and a wealth of experience at the international and club level, like we need more coaches like her, right? And we're going to start to see it. We're going to start to see more coaches. We've talked about the coaching licenses in the NWSL in the past. This is huge, huge for her to be taking over and doing a great job, by the way. They've played great in their last two games. Even though it was two draws, they still managed to play much better and you could see basically even the way they played against the thorns they kicked their butt in those first 20 minutes and really blitzed them so the royals are definitely building something nice with amy lapel bay all right last two teams at the bottom we have the pride and the rain i mean what more can you say they each have two games played so they still have time they still have an opportunity but the rain had their one good match against the Royals, where they really looked like they put the work in and they're finishing. That was the major emphasis for them after the Challenge Cup, and it showed. However, they haven't been able to really defend at the level that they needed to in order to help out their offense, because the attacking players, now their defense is letting them down. Michelle Betos had to make so many saves in their last game, despite having given up so many as well. I believe it was three or four ones in that midweek game. They and the Pride, too, tough. They're, they're playing teams tough. They have some good young players who they're giving an opportunity to. Marta, I just feel so bad for her. Like, her, her last days are being wasted away, and it's so sad. Like, we need... <laughs> I'm so sad for Marta. And, you know, Sydney LaRue's back, which is great. She made the decision to not travel for one of their games to Houston, her and Kristen Edmonds, I believe, so the Pride had their own different things going on. But they've definitely looked better overall, and they're continually making progress. They're developing their younger players, and they're trusting in what they decided, which is so commendable. They want to stick with what they believe is going to get them to the promised land. And so these things, they take time. So at the end of the day, my pick is still for the courage to come back and win it, but it could be the Dash or it could be the Thorns. I think those are really the three teams who are playing their best soccer at the moment right now. Okay, very excited, very, very excited to bring you this interview. Kalia Watt of the Chicago Red Stars, formerly of the Houston Dash, former North Carolina star, won a national championship there. A star in the league, someone who I think everyone looks at and says, that's a quality player right there. That's someone who is in the pipeline for the U.S. Women's National Team in the player pool who could be selected at any point. Without further ado, guys, here's the interview. Kaylee Watt. Enjoy. 
Kaylea, what was it like having to start to join a new team in the middle of the pandemic? And what kind of adjustments did you have to make? I had been in Chicago only for like a week when everything kind of started happening. And I've said this before in a couple interviews, but it was so weird because we we had preseason for a week and all this started happening and we didn't know what was going on. So we, we literally thought we were just getting the weekend off and then we would regroup and figure things out on Monday. So it was a really difficult experience, I think, for all of us because we were trying to train and stay ready for a season that we didn't even know if it was happening. And we also couldn't be out at gyms and working out with each other and, and playing together. So it was it was really challenging from that perspective and also just, just not knowing if we would play any games this year. And luckily, I knew a lot of the girls on Chicago before I got here, and I played with them throughout my whole career. So it wasn't like I was coming into all these new faces and, and didn't know what was going on. So that helped a lot. But I, I just think throughout this whole situation, the uncertainty has been really hard for us as athletes because we're so used to being in control and, and knowing our schedules, and, and, and that's been hard. And so you talked about that familiarity. Now that you've been with the team for a little bit, how do you feel about the squad and the organization as a whole? It's been amazing. I think that, I mean, we have an incredible team. I've always respected the Red Stars as an organization and as a team. And one thing that I have loved about this organization, especially playing against them for so many years, is just how how tough and physical and, and difficult it is to play the Red Stars. And now being here and being at training every single day and, and seeing kind of the culture that Rory creates every day it's tough and and he always says we will be the hardest working team on the field no matter what and that's something that we kind of embody every single day at practice and that's something I I love and respect so much about this team and I think that we're we're finally starting to gel together We, we have so many new faces this year and it's difficult with a midfield with a whole new front line and, and new players in and out. And so this fall series has been really good for us to be able to just train and try new things and get to figuring each other out on the field. It's, it's been an awesome time. Yeah, four goals in that couple of weeks ago. So you guys are looking great. And what did you and the team take away from that Challenge Cup loss in the final? And how has that motivated you guys for this fall series? Yes, that was tough, I think, for all of us. It had been such a long month that we spent in Utah, and I think everyone was pretty mentally drained, and I'm sure everyone on other teams as well. It was a hard a hard month, and we were obviously very disappointed with that result, and the Red Stars had been in the championship the year before and had lost, and so it was really obviously personal to them and, and to me, and that's why I think a lot of us were so excited about fall series and being able to, to come back and to continue working so that we didn't have to end the year on that game and that tournament. And we had great moments in the tournament, but I think that everyone would say that we were not happy with our end result and our end performance. And I think that we're just so 
thankful to be able to come back for this fall series and continue to get better going into next season. And how did it feel for you personally to have scored those two goals and the assists from that match against Sky Blue a couple of weeks ago where, you know, us as media members, of course, like to spin narratives and speculations about a goal drought, things of that nature. How did it feel for you to get off the mark? Yeah, it was an amazing feeling. I, I had never played a game in eight weeks. Obviously trained there. And it was really special. And I've said this in the past couple weeks a couple of times, but it, it's hard as a forward when you haven't scored. I don't care if it's a new team or your old team. It, it's in your mind. And so I think it was a, a relief to get those goals and I feel super confident right now and I think it, it was really special for me to score in the, the first game that I played at our stadium and hopefully next season we'll be playing many games in our stadium in front of our fans and I, I was so excited to have it happen like that. And you've been in the league for six, seven years, I believe? Seven what? years. Seven years. What is something you would have told your younger self when you first entered the league? I would tell myself that in order to perform in this league, you have to have confidence. And that was something I think young in my career. It took me some time coming from college where we won all the time. Almost every game we won, we won a national championship. We were very successful in North Carolina. And when you come into this league, it, it's so difficult because there are so many incredible players. You're, you're literally playing against the best players in the world. And every team is difficult to play. There are no, especially now, that you're just going to go play and every time you're winning 3-0. to zero. That, that really doesn't happen in this league. And so I think that a lot of times when players come from college and they're so used to winning all the time and they're so used to scoring all the time and, and assisting and having almost an easy time throughout parts of the season, it's very different. And, and you probably are not going to have an experience like that. And so I think through losing or through scoring droughts or through things like that, you, you have to remain confident in yourself because that is going to happen. You are not going to win every single game in this league. And so I think that was a, a huge learning curve for me. And, and at times I would get so down and, and so upset that we weren't winning every game. And, and you just have to continue believing in yourself if you want to be successful. So up until this point in your career, what do you think is your biggest achievement and what's something you're still working towards? I think for me, I would say there are two achievements that I'm most proud of. The first was the year that we won the national championship and the under-20 World Cup. That was, from an achievement perspective, that was an incredible year for me and, and my teammates. And, and with both teams, we worked so hard towards that. But personally, I think that coming back from my ACL was the hardest accomplishment, the hardest obstacle I've had to overcome. Up until that point, I had never had a serious injury. I had been out total maybe like two or three games at a time. And there were times where I did not think I would be able to get through that. I didn't know if I was ever going to play again. Mentally and physically, that was the most difficult thing I've ever been through in my career. And so when I look back, that is something that I'm most proud of, that I was able to come back from that and 
now, almost three years out from that, I think almost three years, I feel so good and, and back to, to where I felt previous before I injured myself. And that is something that I'm most proud of. You talked about the national championship, and we've actually had your college coach, Anson Dorn, on the podcast before. He actually mentioned in that interview being able to attend your beautiful wedding ceremony in the Bahamas. What was that day like for you, though? Because obviously we have his perspective, but what was that like for you to share it with the people that you love? Yeah, it was so incredible. I love Anson so much. He's one of my favorite people in the entire world, and he does such a good job at staying connected with his alumni and you can ask pretty much anyone who went to UNC and, and had Anson as their coach just loved him and is so honored to have him be a part of their life. So it was so cool to have my, my UNC teammates, a lot of my fast teammates and, and girls I've grown up playing with and to have them all there and, and to have Anson there. JJ had never met Anson before, but he had heard so many stories and so much about him, obviously. And so for them to get to meet on that day or, or that they met the day before was so special to me. Those are two of the most important people that I've had in my life. And so that that meant the world to me. And he's incredible. And I wish all the time I could go back to that day. You mentioned JJ, and you guys were obviously together in Houston, and now you're in Chicago. Is it difficult being in different cities away, and did you happen to get any advice from Julie Ertz on that? It, it is a bit difficult, and I think right now it's especially difficult because we were planning on a seven-month, eight-month season that I would have, but we had so many plans of him coming to Chicago and me going to Houston and, and seeing each other all the time, and so this situation has been extremely difficult because we don't want to get each other sick. We don't want to be traveling when we don't have to. So yes, it, it has been challenging. And I did speak with Julie, obviously, and I know how hard it is for her to be away from Zach and when she's with the national team as well. It's a lot and it takes a toll on you. But thankfully, JJ and, and I know Zach as well with Julie, they know what we're going through. They're literally doing the same thing where they're at. And so it is easy to understand each other and to support each other. And JJ has always been so supportive of my career. And he was the one that really wanted me to, to come to Chicago and, and to challenge myself and then try to grow as a player. And so I am just so thankful that he has supported me in that and, is the number one person that is like, you need to, to follow your dreams and do everything you can to be the best player you can be. Last question for you, Kaylee. Having gone through what you've gone through in, in your life earlier on, you've had an astigmatism, and I don't know how many people listening know this, but you are mostly blind in your right eye. Having to grow up with that, having to, to play with it, what is your advice to all the young girls out there who might be going through similar struggles growing up, trying to make it, trying to play soccer? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me and the reason why I've been able to become a professional soccer player is it, is really, it really becomes what you decide to focus on. And that's something that I learned from my parents. And growing up, I never focused on my eye. For, for a long period of time, I didn't even 
think about that. Until I got to college, I had never really said that out loud to anybody, and nobody really even knew until I had mentioned it to a reporter, and then that's when people found out about it. And when that happened, I thought, that is so funny, because I had never thought about my eyes playing and growing up, and I think that really is the reason why I didn't let it stop me and didn't let my mind think, well, can I really do this? I'm, I'm blind in one eye. And so... I always tell young young girls, and I've, I've actually talked to, to many players who have vision problems who are, are working through that, and I would just say to everyone, I know that sometimes it's overwhelming and, and you struggle and there are hard things, but as long as you focus on everything you can control, you can become whatever you want to become. Again, that was Kalia Watt of the Chicago Red Stars, just made the move over getting to talk to her about how difficult it was managing during the pandemic, right? That was quite a crazy situation. You have the wedding that she talked about. That was special. And then, of course, the fact that she has adjusted so incredibly well to being legally blind in in a right eye. And now, you know, most people, we would all go crazy. How is that possible? How is that possible? But it goes to show you when you have a different mindset and you're willing to spin it in a different way that helps you rather than hurts you, you can see how far you can go. Like imagine playing through it as it is, your odds are shortened. And she not only persevered through that, but became like this good, like really, really like a borderline superstar in the league. I mean, let's not forget, like she was captain in Houston was tied for the Golden Boot with Lynn Williams that year and the year that she became Houston's star player. So, so much to impact from that interview. It was an incredible experience and we were so grateful to have her on and we hope you guys enjoyed it. But now we have to move on to the college game. Again, there's, it's interesting, as I mentioned in the last episode, fans being in the crowds, like it's absurd to see them in the stadiums. Like, so close together you're only asking for more covid like you're you're asking for it to get there but these colleges they need to make money they need to get the the players out there and women's soccer is clearly a marketable and profitable entity for the ncaa for them that's exactly why the acc sec and big 12 all are still playing We've talked about the ACC in the past. North Carolina, Virginia, Clemson, Duke, those are some teams this year who are very, very strong. They're in elite conference. We've talked about the SEC, but today I want to focus on the Big 12. I think top to bottom, they might be the most difficult conference in terms of overall depth and quality. Most of the conferences are top-heavy. The Big 12 from top to bottom, you're always going to have a tough matchup. You're always going to have a grinded out. It's it's never going to be easy whether that team is ranked or unranked. ACC, there's just so many strong teams. Or you're all, put, But the Big 12, no matter what, you never know what you're going to get. And I think a lot of the Big 12 coaches said coming into the season that there was going to be parity because of the virus and how things have changed. But the team I think that is the most exciting and team to keep an eye on, not just now, but moving forward, is West Virginia. And 
Coach Nikki Izzo Brown has built something special over there at West Virginia. It definitely it has a family like feel to it. Right now, they you know have the most amount of championships, I believe, in the Big Twelve. They were the national runner up in twenty sixteen. So they have had a lot of success recently. They have a very strong Canadian pipeline, which which they've brought in players. You have Kadisha Buchanan and Ashley Lawrence are two players who you think of right away who helped them get to that 2016 national title game. So West Virginia, with the number of underclassmen they have, very, very special group within a year or two. Like they're going to be a top three team within the next year or two with the current group that they have. They're coming off a tough loss in overtime to Oklahoma State, who is also, I think, those are the two teams at the top of the Big 12 right now. Kansas is also in the mix. But those teams are the ones who are going to have a say in terms of who is going to win the Big 12. Again, West Virginia coming off a tough loss in overtime to Oklahoma State. Came out yesterday, beat Texas And again, it was a grind, as Coach Brown has said in the past. It's always a grind when playing Texas. With that being said, we got the chance to speak with Coach Nikki Izzo-Brown, who again has been at the helm of West Virginia for the last 25 years, getting to know more about her, her story, and the program. Enjoy, guys. Coach, in recent interviews, you've talked a lot about having to adapt to to the times that that we're currently going through. But what has specifically been the biggest challenge for you as a coach during this pandemic? Just the the well-being of, you know, the student athletes. It's just a different time for them to really have to be not only disciplined to sport, disciplined to school, but now you add this you know, straight discipline to COVID. And I, I think it just adds another layer to the balance that a student athlete has to do. And it's not easy. And, you know, then you're asking them not to do what a normal 18 to, you know, 22-year-old does, and that's to be social and figure out who you are and to meet new people at college. So it's a very tough time for them. But it also shows how resilient and disciplined student athletes are because they love their sport and they want to participate and they want to study and, and they want this experience. And how would you say you feel about your group this season through the through first three games, especially with the young core of, of underclassmen that you currently have? Yeah, I'm, I'm just thrilled and I applaud them. You know, like you mentioned, we do not have, we're not heavy at the top, we're heavy at the bottom. So a lot of these experiences they're going through are their first. So not only are we, you know, going through experiences in the game, success and failures, but also just, you know, the acclimation of being a student athlete. So normally, you know, I'd love to lean on upperclassmen and they can take care of that. I do think our upperclassmen are doing, you know, everything they can, especially our team captains. So I'm pleased with the way the team is responding you know, and how we've come together um, as a group. Now, how has the pandemic impacted recruiting for you, specifically the Canadian pipeline that has been talked about for years, what you've created and built? It's different. It's, it's very different. It, you know, I feel very badly, you know, for recruits and, and for their opportunity to really explore and experience what it's like to go through the recruiting process and to be on campus. Unfortunately, 
you know, that is not happening. We're doing a lot of virtual tours, a lot of Zooming, you know, a lot of interacting, you know, via Zoom. So, you know, that's been, that's been complicated, but, you know, we hope we've learned through this experience of how to present a really good feel about West Virginia University, because it is about the people and it is about the feel and the facilities and the family. So we've really been trying to give a family feel through technology, which is really quite interesting. But, you know, I, I think every university is going through it. So, you know, we're, we're doing okay. Obviously, we as coaches want to be on the road. We want to be evaluating. But, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Now, you've definitely done a lot of, of preaching about building a West Virginia family over the last 25 years. When did you first have that vision or that idea? So I was a very, very young coach. I like to say that now because, you know, it means I'm not as old as I am. <laughs> so when I started, I was very, very young coach. And the only thing I knew, you know, you know your team, you know, for four years or, you know, back when you played club. But I really knew my family. And, you know, I came from a big Italian family. And it was it was really important to me that we were always there and supporting. So that was kind of my you know, if you want to say my footprint that I wanted to kind of say, okay, you know, when times are good, we're always there for each other. When times are bad, we're always there for each other. We're always in between, but we always got each other's back. And that was kind of what I knew. And that was kind of what I wanted to create at West Virginia, because I think it's really important that you're part of something. And most of the time, to be honest with you, it's bigger than yourself. So, so that was what I wanted to create. That's what I knew. And, you know, that's what I keep preaching and, and hopefully making better that, you know, the West Virginia family isn't perfect, but man, are we there for each other. And is it that same family atmosphere and environment that made you want to stay and keep building here? Because I'm sure there were other opportunities that came up over the years. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, I used to say, oh, it's like my first child. Then I'd be like, oh, it's like my second child. Oh, it's like my third child. You know, because I have three kids. So it was like that. When you create something and you put so much time and effort into, there was nothing. There wasn't even an office for me here. So, you know, you invest so much. And, again, what's part of the family? Loyalty. What's part of the family? Commitment, you know. And, and so I think those were some of the things that made it so unique for me and, and I was so passionate about because I knew it was a lot of people's hard work. It wasn't ever just about me, but when you start something, you have that much more pride and passion about it. So absolutely do I have a lot of pride, passion, and belief about West Virginia. And, you know, I, I knew that, that we had the right university, we had the right people, we just needed the right team to continue to win a national championship and, and continue to be, you know, a, obviously a great program. And in 25 years, I think we've said that, that we've consistently been pretty good. Mm -hmm. And having gotten so close to that national title in 2016, is that loss still a source of motivation for you and your team, or have you left it in the rear view and have just focused on moving forward? I, I think the ill thing about being a coach is sometimes that's all you evaluate your success and failures on is winning the big one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not going to lie and, and tell you that there's not nights when I wake up and, you know, feel almost sick and that I failed. But then I look at all the relationships, all the wedding invitations, 
all my players and how successful they are, all these coaches out there coaching and, and giving back to the game and being incredible doctors, nurses, professionals, teachers. So, you know, you kind of look at that and go, okay, you know, that's what it's all about for me is the relationships and the journeys. But it's, you know, I, I think any coach will lie to you if they say, oh, yeah, that's all it's about. But, but for me, I, I love when I get a wedding invitation or I hear about uh, a baby and, you know, all these new beginnings. Mm-hmm. And back in 2012, you were obviously part of when West Virginia moved from the Big East to the Big 12. What kind of adjustment was needed to go on there? And, and overall, in terms of the Big 12, how do you feel it is? How strong do you feel it is in comparison with the ACC, the Big 10? You know, it's, it's funny. Going from the Big East, you know, and again, I grew up in upstate New York, so I was like the Syracuse country, right? So. Mm-hmm. All I really knew was the Big East because that's where I grew up and that's where I ended up coaching. But we also had a lot of, you know, you had from, at one time, University of Miami to Providence. So Mm -hmm. we were stretched too in the Big East, right? So a lot of people say travel. Well, we, we traveled in the Big East. It was just sometimes we couldn't get on a bus and go, right? So I would probably say in the Big East, Obviously, we had the national champions at Notre Dame. But in the Big 12 right now, you know, there's so much parity. And, you know, it's it's pretty incredible, the 10 programs and how much success all of them have and, and how strong and how each and every day, you know, one team can beat the other with the parity. But, you know, when you compare it to the ACC or compare it to the Big 10, you know, I think we're very similar in a lot of ways. We're not as... I don't think we have as many programs. I could be wrong, but I think, you know, as a core, you know, we have a very successful conference. What is your advice to all the young girls out there trying to make it as a Division One soccer player or just a collegiate soccer player? You know, just be the best version of yourself. Uh, hard work is your foundation. And just make sure that you are focusing on you and not on anything else that you can't control. And, and that's what I would say. I would just say, you know, just focus on you and worry about your development. And with hard work, the sky's the limit. Again, that was Coach Nikki Izzo-Brown of West Virginia. i, I got to be honest with you. If it were me and I'd get the opportunity to do it over and I could go to a state school, West Virginia is one of those places I, I would look at because of that whole idea of family that she talked about, that you want to feel welcome, that you want to feel like you are a part of something. That really resonated with me, and, and I think Coach Brown has a lot of qualities that we don't necessarily see from others in in our society today, things like taking care of each other, being honest, being loyal, and sticking it out with people no matter how tough things get. Like, you're going to get through it. That's what stood out to me about Coach Izzo Brown and what she brings to the table and how it's no wonder that everyone is such a big fan of hers and why the players love her is because she takes care of them. She makes sure everyone is taken care of. And not only that, but they're running as efficiently as they can possibly run in order to get to that national title. All right, let's go across the pond to England give you a quick little update on how our Americans are doing, and it's good news. It's been nothing but positives from abroad. 
Sam Mewis, once again scoring for Manchester City, played 71 minutes against Tottenham. Again, Alex Morgan still not up to fitness quite yet, but I believe she's working her way there. It's only a matter of time. Same goes for, for Roosevelt, who's been coming in off the bench for Manchester City. Hasn't been able to start yet, but her manager believes that she is working towards it. She's a good player who can impact the game in a variety of ways, so... You know, Rose is working her way towards her first start, which would be a great sight to get that, to officially get that off her back in a new place, in a new country, in a new league. For a younger player who might not be as experienced, it's it's definitely a big deal. As I mentioned, Alex Morgan didn't play. Manchester United versus Brighton. We had Tobin Heath enter in the 70th minute, record an assist. Kristen Press got to make her debut, entered in the 77th. Kind of just a, a brief little showcase, I guess, to kind of get them into the flow of the match a little bit. And again, so happy to see them in a United shirt. I think the women's team is what's going to save the men's team at this point. I am so fed up with the men's team that the women's team are going to be the only team that I root for and they could be our savior. Who knows, right? Because the team is definitely playing well. When you take a look at the standings, United sitting firmly in fourth, Chelsea in third, Everton having won three in three. They're looking very impressive. 11 goals scored, none allowed. Love what Everton can do, but I don't think they're going to be able to keep up that hot start. Arsenal, though, however, look unstoppable at the moment. We talked about Chelsea being in the mix. Chelsea have this conglomerate of superstars on their team from different international countries around the world. Arsenal has plenty of star power, too, but they just feel more of a cohesive unit. That same Arsenal identity where it's going to be beautiful attacking football with flashy possession and ruthless finishing, that's what you're going to get from this Arsenal team, whether it's Danielle Van de Donk, Vivian Miedema, Jordan Nobbs is playing out of her mind right now. Jordan Nobbs is on another level right now with how well she's playing. So Arsenal look like the team to beat early on, still very, very early, three matches in. But great to see the Americans get the opportunity to make an impact and we're very, very excited to see. Cause it's only a matter of time before Tobin Heath, Kristen Press get on the board, get goals going. Same for Rose Lavelle with Manchester City. Yeah, it's surprising to see Manchester City in fifth, but again, still early with two wins and one draw. The FAWSL is going to be a ton of fun. And it'll, the fall series is going to come to an end soon. The college season can't go on forever because it's only a conference season. So the FAWSL is going to be a huge source of filling that soccer fix that, that we might be having, that you might be having. So again, the FAWSL, be sure to keep following it. They've also made the FA player, I believe, available for us here in America, which is amazing. So access to highlights and goals and all that great stuff is also possible. So again, FAWSL. Tune in. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. We've covered almost the entire landscape. We've covered college soccer, British soccer, NWSL. Now there's also the youth movement. We cannot forget about youth soccer here in America, the foundation upon which everything was built on in terms of how we do things. The U.S. Women's National Team wouldn't have become what it was if it wasn't for youth teams, right? 
And what's interesting is how some states still are in shutdown, California, Washington, but other states have elected to either leave it up to their local officials, so they'll separate it and leave it up to them, or they're just going to stay closed. Not really much that can be done here. Now, in New Jersey, the kids followed the directions. Everyone stayed inside, and now they can enjoy. That was the whole point of everyone staying inside and wearing masks, that when the time is right, we can enjoy and go back out. Other places might not be following it nearly as diligently or as strictly. So until that happens, right, it's, it's up to the discretion. I think to get the kids out there is great. And I think that's what the parents wanted. They needed to get their kids out and active doing something, right? Kids need, they need to be active. So by getting them back out there, out on the field, it is good. But again, as long as the protocols are followed and the NWSL has set a great precedence in this matter. So as long as everyone else can find a way to stick to it and make sure everyone is safe, we're happy that youth soccer is slowly but surely starting to make its way back. One last little tidbit before we head out for the day. Bibiana Steinhaus, the first ever female referee in the German men's Bundesliga and one of the most decorated women's referees of all time has finally decided to retire. She's also a police officer, believe it or not. So basically, you don't want to mess with her. That's basically what the deal is. She uh, looks very intimidating. I would not want to mess with her uh, and dispute a call if I was out there on the pitch. She basically decided to say that after reflecting throughout all of this COVID uh, situation that she would give more details about why she's stepping away from the game later on. But for right now, the fact that she is retiring... It's a little sad anytime you have someone who is this good at their job having to step away for whatever reason it may be, especially when you're a trailblazer like Viviana is. Like, she's looked at Pep Guardiola dead in the face. That's one of her biggest claims to fame is just being totally disinterested and just deading Pep Guardiola when he used to manage Bayern Munich over on the sideline. This was a couple years ago. That was like her main claim to fame, but she's also an incredible women's soccer referee. And again, it's unfortunately, you know, it, it is what it is. People have to make the decisions that they need to make that are best for them. And that's the biggest lesson here. Make the decisions that are going to make you the most happy mentally physically, spiritually, and it seems like that's what Viviana is trying to do for herself. Okay, that is it for episode 36 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so much once again for tuning in to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. Again, for all the latest news, analysis, lifestyle, all of that information, merch, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Go to Girls Soccer Network. For our Instagram handle and at Girls Soccer Net for Twitter, check us out on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel everywhere. And this podcast, again, be sure to get this podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever. Be sure to download this podcast as well. Again, peace and love, guys. Thank you so much for your support. We will be talking to you guys soon.